Greetings, fellow sports card enthusiasts. This is the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner. And I'm Brandon Turner. And we're your hosts of a weekly podcast that's dedicated to the world of sports cards. And as a reminder, we are independent. We do not take sponsorships. We do not get paid by anyone that we talk about on our show. This is very intentional so that we can remain unbiased and have freedom to talk about anyone without conflict or omission. If it's newsworthy, we will mention it. And anyone that we mention on the show is completely based on our own experience and opinions and is not financially motivated. All right, now that we got that out of the way, we often get talking right out of the gate and end up doing the rundown like half an hour into the show. So this time, figured we'd mix it up, put the rundown right at the top of the show. Figured that would be a novel idea, right? Yep. All right, so. Yeah, so we're going to start with the rumor reel today. And then in keeping with our theme of looking at the athletes who wore the same number jersey as what show number we are on, we're going to look at athletes that wore number 19. We'll then do a quick review on our decision-making process regarding which grading company to use for different cards. And then next, we have another historic moment in sports where we will discuss a historical milestone event that occurred in sports in the past during the same week as this show, so this past week. This time we're going to be discussing uh, Wilt Chamberlain's historic 100-point game. It's the 60th anniversary of that game was on Wednesday. Nice. Then, as usual, we will cover some of the latest hobby news in the Halftime Report. Then in film study, we've got some MLB and NBA stuff planned. And then we'll be back to wrap up the show. All right. Lots of good stuff. So we will go ahead and... Well, I guess we go ahead and talk about our show number because we're show number 19, so we can get into the athletes that wore number 19. Actually, no, before, let's do the rumors first. Before mm-hmm. we do that, we were going to do rumors first. I'm, I'm all out of whack now that we did the rundown at the start of it. It's got me all mixed up. Okay, so rumors. Brady continues to fuel the rumors that he might return. Went on a radio show with Fred Couples, the golfer, and Couples asked him about his future. He gave an interesting answer, said he's not ruling it out. Well, actually, he didn't say that. What he said was, quote-unquote, never say never. So my interpretation is he's not ruling it out. And he could absolutely rule it out if he wanted to and put all these rumors to rest, but he's not. And then he went on to say, quote, we'll figure out where we go from there. And he was talking about after he spends some time with his family in the summer, you know, and all that kind of in the offseason, all that stuff. He knows what he's saying. He's clearly leaving the door open. I think there's, I mean, I know, you know, it's rumor and speculation, but I think there's legitimately a chance that he could come back. Maybe he won't, but he has to know what he's saying when he's saying that, and he's not saying for absolute that he's retired. So I think the door's open. He could come back. I'm just like, dude, either either say if you're going to retire, either retire or don't retire. <laughs> Maybe you, I wonder if he's, is he, like, you think he might dude, be people, leveraging to, because Tampa Bay owns his right. People always freaking do this. And they, like, I know. It's I'm just like, I don't care. Like, So do you think he's leveraging to get Tampa Bay to let him go somewhere else? Maybe, but. There's long been the I speculation mean, about the 49ers. I don't know, man. All right. I'm just like, if you say you're going to retire and then like two weeks later, you're like, oh, we'll never say it. I'm just like, I don't care at this point. I know. If you're gonna, I'm just like. But that's my point. I just Brady's, see that. I just see that, and I like roll my eyes. He's smart enough. I'm just like to uh, know. Like every time, man. Yeah. Come on. Like I don't know. Brett Favre. It's a little yeah, different with know. Brady. But but he's smart enough to know what he's saying, and so yeah. he's clearly. I mean, yeah. Leaving, he's clearly undecided. He's clearly thinking possibly that he might want to come back. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well. It's always fun to stir the pot with the rumor mill a little bit, but he's actually he's the one that stirred it. 
So we'll just contribute to it. All right, let's now let's go back to the top athletes that wore the jersey number. So this is show number 19. So let's go through some of the top athletes that wore number 19. We'll start right off the top with a hockey player, Steve Iserman. Or there's also basketball, Willis Reed. Tony Gwynn in baseball. Johnny U, Johnny Unitas, football. Uh, Joe Montana, of course, although that's actually with the Chiefs because I think he wore 16 with the 49ers. But then when he went to the Chiefs, he wore 19. So... You can kind of count that, maybe. Bob Feller in baseball. Joe Sackett, another hockey player. Uh, Robin Yount, who we talked, his baseball player, we talked about, submitted his rookie card. Have that in with PSA now. He had Lance Allworth in football. Uh, your boy, Joey Votto, mm-hmm. Cincinnati Reds. That's a good one. Bernie Kozar, Cleveland Browns quarterback. Uh, Brian Trache, uh, hockey hockey player as well. Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn, throw me the... I'll say darn ball because we're a clean show. <laughs> Johnson, Lenny Wilkins, Don Nelson. Yeah. You know, we haven't in the past. We've talked about we should talk about card values of some of these. So I, so I did put down some card values of some of these guys so we could kind of see what they are. So we'll start with Johnny Yu because I figure, I mean, it depends what sports you're, you're going. There's a lot of good names on this list, but let's go Johnny Unitas. Rookie cards is 1957 tops, PSA 8. Sold for over sixteen thousand dollars. A nine sold in twenty eighteen for ninety thousand. So who knows what that would be worth today? Iserman, it's another big name in hockey. Uh, he's in the nineteen eighty four set for rookie cards. His Opeachy in a PSA ten sold for over five thousand dollars. We could go now to Willis Reed for basketball. He's in nineteen sixty nine. Tops is his rookie card. PSA nine sold for about forty five hundred. His PSA 10 has a pop count of one, and that last sold in 2016 for about 13,000. So who knows what that would go for today? But I'm sure multiples of that. Tony Gwynn's a popular one. His rookie cards in the 83, 1983 top set. That's a, and a PSA 10 sells for about 2,600. Go hockey again with Sackick. His rookies that 1989. The I'll use the Opeachy. I think there's tops as well. It, this one's interesting to me because his Opeachy, usually Opeachy sells for more, and his Opeachy in a PSA 10 sells for $800, but the Topps version sold for $2,400. Now, I'm not sure what the pop, maybe the pop count is lower in, for Topps, but that's an interesting because usually it's the opposite. And then Yount, we've already talked about Yount. He's got his rookie in that 1975 top set. PSA 9 sells for about $4,000. A 10 last sold for over $100,000. Of course, Joe Montana is rookies in the 81 tops we've talked about him a bunch he had a um, psa 10 that last sold for eighty-five thousand dollars, but it is available on the fractional platforms fifty thousand on i think dibs or otis and sixty thousand on collective respectively uh we'll go with your boy joey Votto. he's got a few different rookies but a couple i think that are that we like that are worth pointing out ones that he's got a 2004 bowman signs of the future card it's autographed you have that card i believe in a psa 10 it last sold for over $600, but that was in 2021, so probably sell for more than that now. His 08 Topps Chrome, 2008 Topps Chrome, that's, I think, his kind of his official rookie card. First one, or the first year he was played in the majors. And that sells in, again, these are 2021 sales because there haven't been any 2022 that we could find, but that sells for about $300. He's got an 02 Bowman Chrome Draft Picks, card so that's kind of his i think that might be his first bowman and a psa 10 last year sold for about 400 dollars. so hmm. there you go so there's some Pretty of the good. card values of those guys you know i don't know i'd have to probably lean 
towards out of that group, I'd have to lean towards uh, maybe either Johnny Unitas or uh, Iserman. I'd have to say those are probably two. And from a card value perspective, certainly Unitas probably has the most. Although Yount, I mean, in a PSA 10. But see, we don't. I'm not even sure there is a Unitas in a PSA 10. So who knows if there was one, what that would sell for. But all right. What about Joe Montana? Yeah, I kind of. I should probably. Should, I'd get include him on the number 16 list because the 49ers is where he won all of his Super Bowls. Uh, I guess so. I kind of don't I count him. But and his 10 is still probably less at, at what 85k. That's less than the Yount in a 10. That's also going to be less than the Unitas. Because the Unitas in a nine sold for ninety k, so in terms of value, it's probably, you know, Unitas Yount could be well could be Willis Reed too basketball. You'd probably still lean towards those two. Yeah, because he only has one in a PSA ten, and that sold what five six years ago for one hundred thirteen thousand. So that's probably going to be worth a lot more than that today. All right, what about you? Are you Votto? I'd probably Who's go with Unitas. Unitas. Mm-hmm. All right. Where else we go? So, our, by the way, our listener base continues to grow. We did add some listeners from a few new states, so that was cool. We've got, um, and we also added some new cities in existing states, like our home state of Tennessee and California, a bunch of new cities there. It's great to see that. We now have listeners in 16 states and four different countries, including the U.S. and Canada. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope you like the show. And please do drop us a line. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. We do say it all the time. I think we always say that in our outro. But we really do want to hear from you. We do adjust and tweak the show all the time based on listener feedback. We add new segments, take stuff out, whatever. So please give us that feedback, good or bad. We want to hear it so we can use it to make the show better, more enjoyable for you and for all of our listeners. And so speaking of adjusting the show and feedback for listeners, wanted to provide a little bit of a sneak peek on what you can look for in future shows. We've got a lot of stuff planned that we're working on and excited about, and that includes a guest interview on our next show, which will be this next week. Uh, We've got Chris McGill, who's a co-founder of Card Ladder. You hear us talk about Card Ladder all the time. They're a really good card research site for the hobby. Um, they do great work. They got acquired last late last year, I think it was, by Collectors Universe, was the parent company of PSA, and PSA, and they've also bought Gold in the Auction House. So um, looking forward to that interview with Chris. And by the way, we'll probably be dropping that on Thursday next week, so a day earlier than normal. And then we've also received some listener requests for soccer content. So we are working on some things there. Full disclosure, soccer is probably not either of our yeah. areas of expertise. Absolutely Both not. Both played soccer as kids. Yeah, I, I don't played remember. quite a bit as a kid. I don't even. I actually I played like a little bit in year, high school too. I was too. like four years old. Were you? Yeah, dude. I don't really know how soccer works. So yeah. soccer is really especially me. That's like the one sport I don't really know that well. Yeah, I played a little in high school as well as a kid. But but and then actually, I do remember my sister did an exchange. Uh, I think it was a rotary exchange in Scandinavia, but I can't remember if it was there. I don't know. One way or another, she met up. There was a soccer coach out of, uh, I think, Sweden, and he ended up coming over to the U.S. and ended up coaching or assisting the JV team I was on in high school. He was a really good player. Learned a lot of interesting things from him. But nonetheless, don't have that expertise. Yeah, so The reason I watch a soccer game, I'm like, I sit there and I'm just like, I don't 
Well, a, I don't really know the rules, and then B, I'm just like what I said. They don't know the rules. You know the rules. I mean, like I know, like you're supposed to run, you score. I know how to score, but like I don't know like the detailed rules or anything. No, but you know what that you can't use your hands, and you know about like offsides. Yeah, like, and I don't know about offsides. You don't, dude. I played soccer when I was four years old. Well, it's, it's probably when was the last time you think I've watched a soccer match outside, like when I was at Sam's house at ten years old, <laughs> dude. Know. Like, I, so a, I don't know that, and B. It's like one of those, I like watch it and I'm like, you just like think like, you know, like how that, how do you know, like to pass it right there? Like what's going through his head? Yeah. What is he thinking? Like, so I don't know that as far as that's concerned either. So here's the good news though. I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, here's the good news. We do know a few people, one in particular, who's an absolute expert on soccer. And so we're going to, we're reaching out to that person as well as a couple others. We're going to try to have some expert guests join our show and hopefully we can encourage them or twist their arm or incentivize them, whatever you want to say, to be a recurring guest that we'll have on every so often to talk in more detail about soccer, talk about the players, the different teams and leagues and all that kind of stuff. And then we can also incorporate some card stuff. I'm very comfortable incorporating card stuff, uh, just don't necessarily know all the players as well, or at least once you get in. I know the major players, right? I mean... You know some of the big ones, right? Ronaldo and yeah. and and Mbappe and all those guys, but um, and obviously Pele is a big one from way back in the day. So stay tuned because we're we are working on um, that to have an expert guest that'll join the show, and like I said, hopefully on a recurring basis um, to talk some soccer. And again, that's based on some of the listener feedback. So we appreciate that. We've also got some other interviews planned in the areas of hockey, football, other companies that are in the space, some of their executives. And there's a lot more we're looking to do. Some athletes we're going to hope to have on. So there's a lot of stuff coming down the pike in future shows. Looking forward to that. So stay tuned for that as we get more of that stuff confirmed. We'll announce it through our social media sites and talk about it here as well. Um, one other point I did want to mention, because we, we do talk a lot about the investment and the financial value of cards. But I th- thought it's worth pointing out, or at least making mention, we've that we are collectors first and foremost. And so just want to comment on that and say we totally understand the personal collecting aspect of the hobby. We do not see everything as just being financially motivated. We do it for the fun of it, and it doesn't always have to be that financially motivated. It's nice if you can make a few bucks on things in your collection because then you can use those funds to maybe go after a grail card that you always wanted and add some more cards to your personal collection or whatever you'd like to do. But know that all of the transactions we talk about the cards we talk about it's not always just financially motivated but we also do recognize that there is a financial investment element to the space as well there are people that view this as an alternative asset and a place where they can diversify their investment portfolio and put some of their funds into cards and and try to use that as an opportunity to get some investment gains over a longer period of time and so we do try to cater to both sides of the hobby but i did want to just mention that because we i feel like we talk a lot about the financial value of this stuff and it's important to also talk about that there's a lot of just fun and personal value in it as well and so we don't want to miss lose sight of that all right let's move on what else we've got oh i did get an allocation in one of the psa economy events this past week they actually changed it remember we that was one of our read and react segments last time because they increased they were five cards they increased to 50 like nobody could get in well they dropped it down this past week to 20 they did two more on one on tuesday one on thursday they dropped it to 20 cards from 50 
I was lucky enough to get in. So now I'm going to have to figure out which cards I'm going to send in and I'll have to get that figured out. And then maybe we can talk about that on the next show. But I was happy to at least see they brought that down a little bit. Still not really sure what the reason was for that, if that was just a kind of a sneaky way to get fewer cards and speed up turnaround times or what that was about. But And that does bring up another important point we should probably mention that we don't talk about a lot, and that's why are we submitting to, say, PSA versus SGC or HGA, which are other you know grading companies that we've talked about in the past that we like and we've submitted cards to. So what drives that decision? There are a number of factors. And you think of the grading scales are a little bit different. As an example, SGC and HGA have a 9.5. PSA does not. They have a 9 and go straight to a 10. So that can play a role. Why would that play a role? Well, let's say I've got a card that I think could get a 10, but maybe there's something on it that, you know, I might be concerned that if I send it to SGC or HGA, might get a 9.5, might not get that 10, and I really want that 10 from a value perspective. Well, PSA doesn't have a 10, so... If it were to be better than a nine, they're not going to give it a nine. Excuse me, they don't have a nine and a half. So if it's better than a nine, they're not going to give it a nine and a half. They're going to give it to ten. So that could be one example. The cost of grading, obviously, there's different costs between the different companies, different turnaround times. Um, the slabs themselves. Some people like certain cards look nice in an SGC slab. Sometimes you might want a an HGA slab. They've got different sort of artistic slabs and custom slabs that you can do that are cool. So that can be a reason. Maybe you want consistency in your collection. If I've already got, for example, a 19, which I do, a 1971 Topps baseball set, and I've already got, say, 40 of those in a PSA slab, well, maybe I want to get the rest of them in PSA then because I want to have consistency in the set. But then maybe a different set, I would do SGC or something like that. So that could be a reason. So there's a, there's a lot of different reasons why you might use the different companies. We do like SGC. We do like HGA. We have not really done much with CSG or BGS, Beckett and CSG. We can talk about that later. But with SGC, we generally use them for lower value cards, HGA the same way. HGA we tend to use more for lower value cards and cards that are going to be probably more part of a personal collection and where we really want a custom slab, where it's a cool insert, cool design of the card will look really nice with one of their custom labels. So that's kind of HGA. And then on the SGC side, it really comes down a lot to either the look of the card on the slab, because remember they've got that tuxedo look with their slabs, but also comes down to value, right? And could be turnaround times and cost of grading. SGC is generally less expensive to grade at than PSA. They also have significantly faster turnaround times for that lower cost. And so if you're trying to get a card in and get it graded and get it back quickly because you want to sell it to take advantage of an opportunity in the market, SGC might be a better way to go. On the other hand, for whatever reason, and frankly, I don't know that I've found anyone that can truly answer why this is, but for whatever reason over the last several years, PSA graded cards have commanded higher values in the market. So if you are financially motivated, then generally speaking, PSA has been the better option, but it does depend. So let's give a couple examples of that. Like tw- I'll use a couple of popular cards. 2020 Don Russ Optic Justin Herbert card. So not a hugely expensive card, but ultra modern, popular player. In an SGC 10, that sells for around $120. But in a PSA 10, it sells for around $250, so almost double. Another example, I'll use a, um, a, a Joe Burrow 2020 Panini Prism. I'll use a laser parallel because that's one that I've had recent sales on. PSA 10 sells for around 
$850, while an STC 10 sells for about $600, so $250 difference on those. Now, if you're submitting to PSA right now at the economy service, you're paying $50 a card, but it's going to take at least 90 days. We'll see if they hold to that to get it back. If you want to get it back in 30 days or less, like you can with SGC, then you have to be at that express level, which is, I think, $100 a card, whereas SGC can get it back to you in that same time frame for $30 a card. So depends on what you're going after there. Obviously, if you've got a card that's selling for $120 in SGC versus $250 in PSA, but it's going to cost you $80 more, well, then now it's you know $200 versus $250. I mean, that closes the gap, and then the turnaround time. So you kind of have to factor all that in. I'll give you a couple other quick examples. 1980 Tops, the three-player card of Bird Magic and Dr. J. It's a popular card, and I'll use an 8 because that's got more trade volume in it. An SGC 8 sells for about $3,900 and a PSA 8 sells for about $6,200. But now I'll go to vintage because SGC has really done well in the vintage space. Again, why this is, I don't know. You know, why, I think they're closing the gap in the modern stuff value-wise, but nonetheless, so we'll use a 19, we'll use two cards. One is a 1971 Topps Pete Maravich Pistol Pete. A PSA 7 sells for about $170, while an SGC 7 sells about for about $140. So not a lot of difference there, and especially once you factor in the difference in the cost of grading, they're about even. And then I'll go to Vintage Baseball. That's really sort of SGC's sweet spot. We'll go to a 1956 Topps Mickey Mantle card, which is a popular one, and a PSA 5 sells for about $2,500, and SGC 5 sells for about that same amount, $2,500. But you're going to pay a lot less to get it graded by SGC than you would for PSA. Because remember, SGC doesn't charge you for the value card. Well, they kind of do, but it has to be a lot of really highly, much more highly valuable card. But PSA has that upcharge. Once you get to $1,000, you're going to get upcharged. And then once you get to, I think it's $2,500, you're going to get upcharged again. So it'll be a lot more expensive to grade a $2,500 card at, S at a PSA versus SGC. And so in that example, that 1956 Topps Mickey Mantle, where they sell for about the same price, probably more advantageous to use SGC. Anyway, so it really just depends on what the purpose is of why you're getting a car graded and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that gives you an idea. Now, again, why is there this value difference in the market? Frankly, nobody knows. I mean, obviously, PSA is the 800-pound gorilla. They've graded more cards than anyone else. And they do have that guarantee, but so does SGC. SGC makes it right if there's ever problem or you know with a card or whatnot so I don't know it just is the way it is and by the way it didn't always used to be that way it used to be I think BGS was the more valuable now it's yeah, PSA it and with CSG and BGS we talked about that not using them I mean I've got some BGS slabs in my personal collection but I've not sent stuff in to be graded by them I'm just not a fan of the way the CSG slab looks to be honest, I think they're a good grading company. I think they're legit. I think everything's good about them, but I just don't like the look of their slabs. And the same for me with BGS. I don't like the sharp corners. I prefer the rounded corners on a slab. I guess that's just call it <laughs> picky. Is it OCD that's, that's or whatever? Really, I don't know, it's but not it's just picky. yeah. But it's just personal preference. Again, nothing wrong with BGS. BGS and a lot of people like BGS cards, especially for like RPAs, rookie patch autographs things like that or if you think a card has a shot to get their black label a lot of people really like the black labels and the black labels do carry a premium member black labels where all four of the subgrades get a 10 so it's basically a perfect 10 and 
those do carry premium values in the market. Or the other reason to use P, uh, excuse me, BGS might be for subgrades because remember PSA and SGC don't offer subgrades. They just give you the grade on the card. BGS, CSG, and HGA will all give you subgrades on what the corners, the edges, the surface, and the um, centering was. And sometimes that can help with the value of a card if you you know, depending on how those subgrades come out. So anyway, a lot of things to consider. But yeah, we'll have to talk next time about, I'll, I'll go through and figure out what cards I'm going to send in on this latest PSA allocation. We can hit on that next time. All right, let's go ahead and jump into our historic moment in sports. All right, so let's see, what do we want? We're covering, you want to get started? We're covering the anniversary of the 100-point game. It happened on March 2nd of 1962. Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points for the Philadelphia Warriors in a win that was 169 to 147 over the New York Knicks. 60th anniversary. That's um, that's a long time. And not only has that record not been broken, Kobe came close. He had an 81-point game against Toronto in January of 06. But he also got the benefit of the three-pointer. Okay, well, Wilt I'm going to say Wilt got some other benefits in that game. That I know. Through. Okay, good. We can talk about um, that. That's good. Because I'm going to say Co- it's an interesting discussion between what's Co- what's more impressive between Kobe and Wilt's yeah. scoring. Here's the other thing, though. It's never been broken by two teammates in a game. Even two players have not gotten 100 points. That's not surprising. It means you have to get two guys that are just, like, absolutely hot to either both get 50 or one get more than 50 and one get 40. Like That's not surprising Yeah. To me. Well, there's been some guys come close you had, or I guess sort of close, aside from Kobe. Let's see, some of the other ones. I had them listed here. Where'd they go? Devin Booker had 70. Devin David Booker. Robinson, I think, had 71. Yep, David, Devin Booker had 72. 70. David Robinson, Elgin Baylor, David Thompson had... Um, but Chamberlain did it four times, 78, 73, 73, 70. When I say four yeah. times, had seven, more than 70. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the 78, 73, 73, and a 72-point game. Jordan's highest game, by the way, was 63 points. Oh, it was 68. I think 63. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Wilt averaged over 30 points a game, nearly 23 rebounds a game, and over four assists a game in his over his 14-year career. But that season, that 61-62 season where he had the 100-point game, he averaged over 50 points a game, nearly 26 rebounds a game, yeah, I mean, and over just, 48 minutes a game. Now, that's, that's part ludicrous. of it, too. Chris. Remember, there were, the games are 48 minutes in regulation, so how can you average over 40? He averaged 48 and a half, and it's because they played like 10 overtime games, and he played every minute of every game. I mean, that's really impressive. And I will say, like, I mean, 50 points. He had, like, what, 40-something 50-point games that season, which is more than Michael Jordan has had in his entire career. Yeah. Now, again, different eras, of course. But, I mean, that's just ridiculous, like... Wilt is like the king of numbers. <laughs> like, if you just, it's just absolutely ridiculous if you look at any of his stat lines. It's just stupid. Well, and he was a four time MVP, seven time scoring champion, 13 time all star, 11 time rebounding champion. Rebounding is where he really, of course, he was seven yeah, foot dude, one. Like 20 he was five. a monster. I mean, but still, that's ridiculous. And back then, you know, there weren't. Now, seven-footers are pretty calm. Back then, there weren't a lot of seven-footers. And the interesting thing about Wilt is for he was a seven-footer, yeah, but he was also known for more like finesse-type moves. Like, you see a lot of seven-footers. They're Not all of them are very athletic. A lot of them just dunk the ball. They lay it up. But, like, Wilt, he did, like, a lot of finger rolls. Yep. He had a little bit of a shot. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he liked those finesse moves. Yep. He went on a big guy. So Well, he won two NBA titles. He was the rookie of the year in his rookie year. Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's the only player was, to score. He was um, MVP and rookie of the year in the same season, too. Yeah. Only it, two people have ever done that. The only one's Kareem. Exactly. Exactly. And he, he actually, that his rookie year, he was rookie of the year. He was the MVP, and he was the All-Star Game MVP. <laughs> and... Yeah, he averaged over 37 points and over and 27 rebounds a game in his rookie season. He's the only player to score 4,000 points in a season. And actually, of the top five highest scoring seasons, Wilt's got four of them. The only other player on that list is Jordan with 3,041 points in the 86-87 season. And even though his rookie card, Jordan, is in 86, that was not his rookie year. His rookie year, I think, was 84. Um, yes. Wilt also had the most rebounds in a game, 55. Think about that for a minute. He was this, a, this next one's interesting. I didn't know this. <laughs> yes, yeah, he was a game thing. changer. He would. It's, it's reported now. I, it's reported. I didn't see this myself, but but it's reported that he would leap from behind the free throw line to just lay up the ball in the basket, and so they changed the rules on free throws as a result of that. <laughs> can't cross the line. Yeah, that's funny. Because yeah. you can take a jump shot on your free throw. You just can't cross the line. Yeah. I didn't know that was why. That's interesting. And then it was also said that his high school team would practice actually trying to miss free throws so that he could, Will could get the rebound and the score. <laughs> you know, that's interesting that he would jump. I mean, that probably ruined his – that leaving from behind the free throw line thing. Oh, Wilt was a notoriously terrible free throw shooter. Yeah. Like 50%, 50%. under 50%. Some see like it, yeah. it's bad and you watch him do it. It's just terrible. So that's so. my thing. So I think I know where you're going to go with the, the thing about controversy over the hundred point game well, with the Knicks, but I'm going to talk about have, the story. It's but, not just the free throws. Okay. I was going to say, because you have to give him credit. They were kind of hacking too. And he shot 28 of, I think it was 28 of 32, right? From the mm-hmm. free throw line yes. that game. Normally he's a 50% free throw shooter. That game shot. What is that? At like 80% or whatever it was from the free throw line or more than 80% of 90 I think yeah from the free throw line and so you got to think like even if he missed one more of those he would add 99 instead of 100 but well you know the interesting thing about that story is he had the option to get more than 100 points but he didn't want to because you don't want 99 you don't want a 98 or 101 or 102 that's not as clean of a number as just like 100 yeah he was thinking about that in the game that's yeah that's part that's what they say yeah that's what his teammate said he retired at the end of the 72-73 season. His rookie year was the 59-60 season. This this 100-point game was in the 61-62 season. Um, yeah, he was 36 of 63 from the field that game, so 72 points from the field, 28 of 32 from free throws. He, he took scored 60 30, shots. He sc- 63 shots. He scored 31 points in the fourth quarter, 59 in the second half. Of course, there's controversy, but I think it goes both ways. There's controversy because some people will say, well – they were trying to give him they were just feed, you know other guys were passing up open shots feeding him the ball they were doing everything they could to get him to 100 points and there was i've also heard that well they also would foul the other team just so they could get the ball back and mm. try to get will to score yes. but the flip side is i've also heard the other team was doing everything they can to prevent will from doing that so they were fouling as well and then they were also trying to stall and run clock out to try to not allow yeah. him to do that it so, was I mean, just it, this it game wasn't even ways. like a basketball game it was just a everybody's like everybody it's just everybody versus will yeah it's like not even the game at this point but okay so there's like things about the story that make it more impressive and things that i think make it a little bit less impressive now i'll preface that with saying 
if you score 100 points in a game, I don't care what the circumstance is. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, who you are. That's ludicrous. Agreed. I would Agreed. never discount that. That is, and Wilt was one of the best ever. But here's the it's <laughs> interesting because, well, okay, well, the story is really interesting because, well, A, it was, he, it was reported he didn't have, like, any sleep on this game which is interesting like they traveled and he like didn't really sleep much if at all before the game like the night before the game yeah and so he's basically running he was running through this game on basically no sleep which is interesting (laughs) the arena itself um it was in hershey pennsylvania and it was this like i don't think it was the main arena that they would normally play their games it was not it was like this really like grungy kind of bad arena and the rims were kind of bad and like yeah, they were trying to get out into other areas of town to attract more exactly. audience, to yeah. expand the reach of the of the NBA and get more people interested in coming to the games. So, yeah. And so, like, yeah, like, the rims were bad and, like, everything. The arena itself was kind of bad. Only a couple thousand fans in attendance. There was no – it was not televised. There's no broadcast. There's very little um, radio. There is a radio There is a radio broadcast, but I'm not sure if it's full or not. Yeah, I, I think know. it's only pieces. Well, and it's not um, been released publicly. There's only yeah, there are exactly. bits and pieces like it, of it, it that have been released. It, it's somewhere. I don't. The think. NBA has it. Yeah, they control it. And and I've heard that um, a couple of his teammates have actually gotten like recordings of at least the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think but, it's funny. There's a all the fans went out when he got a hundred. All the fans went out on the court before the game was even over, <laughs> which is yeah uh, funny. But so I'll keep going. Um, they're playing the New York Knicks, which were the worst team in the entire league, which yep. I, you know, every, all these like big games, like if you're going to get like a 60 point, 50 point, even 70 point game, it's usually going to be against a bad team. It's pretty hard to do it against a good team. Absolutely. Um, so that doesn't really matter that much, but I will say this, they're the worst team in the league. And also Will was being guarded by the third string center Yep. because the first string center was either injured or he had a hangover, out. had a hangover yeah. or something. Well, it's, yeah, it was reported. It was, <laughs> he, so he was like sick, report, but he was. Yeah, the people were like, "Oh, he probably has a hangover." Sick and he's out. And but the second string yeah, center, I think, was hurt or something. No, so here's what. So unofficially, they yeah, report is maybe had a hangover the first string, and I forget. I should. I had the names. I should. I forget the names. Like M M M off or something. Anyway, um, then the second the stringer. Oh, he's a good center. The second string stringer good played. Center. And was and was good, but he played, but he got in foul trouble. He played like the first four or five minutes, got in foul trouble. Ended up getting like three fouls or some four fouls in the first few minutes. Mm-hmm. And so then and the, so third the third string center came comes in, in who but, was a rookie, but he was apparently <laughs> good, and he was like six nine, you know. And still, oh, I still see, still like five inches too short. I know. <laughs> That's the funny thing about <laughs> he's six on. nine, you're and yet still, he's still wait, you're still too of, short. Yeah, you're still too way too short. So like. All that to say, and then like you said, like the entire game, it was let's try and get Wilt the ball. The his teammates were running away from the other team so that the other team couldn't foul the other guys to, you know, stop the game. They were intentionally fouling to get the ball back. I mean, it was just like it wasn't even like a basketball game. And so, yeah, it's like crazy impressive, and like it's a really like it's a super high milestone. I don't think everybody anybody's ever going to hit. Um, very iconic milestone. But just the circumstances of it all are pretty interesting. And I would honestly argue that there are certain performances, scoring performances in the NBA since then that I would probably consider a little bit more impressive, if I'm being honest. That's not to discount Wilt or say that it's not. I still think it probably, it might be the greatest performance ever. 
But I think, obviously, Kobe's 81 comes to mind. Now, like you said, he did have the three-point line. That's true. But he was playing, I think, a slightly better Toronto team um, in a different era. And, like, like, it's hard to compare eras. That's the other thing. You can't really compare eras, so it's it's hard to say. Um, I think Giannis's 50-point game in the finals last year, game six of the finals, that comes to mind, too. Just because at that point you were playing the best other team in the NBA in game six of the finals. I mean, at that point you have each other figured out at that point. 50 po- I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that so I would was, I would pl- I would place more emphasis on than So it was Jordan or Jordan, I don't know how you pronounce that guy's name. He was the starter. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh Imhoff. Again, I don't know how you pronounce these names, but he was the uh, second stringer, came in and got in foul trouble, and then it was Buckner that came in and was actually the third stringer uh, that had to guard him for most of the game. Mm-hmm. And then again, Wilt did make all like all his free throws that game. Like we said, career like 50% free throw shooter, or maybe even worse, honestly. Um, I'm not 100% sure. And well, like he, he went for 28 from 32 for the line. And the only reason I say that, because that is very impressive for, for him, the only reason I say that is because of the arena that they were in. Now, I don't want to get too into that, but, like, a lot of people have said, like, oh, like, he made his free throws because the rims were, like, bad or whatever, and it was, yeah. like, bouncing. But I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. Um, but I just will mention, like, yeah, he made 20 of his free throws. That's another point that needs to be mentioned. That's well, but the other impressive. Thing, that's very impressive. It is, is but the I other thing that's impressive, because you don't see this in today's game, is just the stamina. And That's also true. Because he played the entire game, and... He didn't just, I mean, by all accounts, not just this game, but that all season and many seasons, um, he just got hammered upon. People really were physical in how they played defense against him in order to try to stop him. And so to, to, be, to have to play against that physical of, a, of defense and still play that entire time and then still take that many shots, like you've heard guys you know, talk about Jordan, Kobe, others – We'll talk about just taking 40 shots and how exhausting it is to take 40, 30 or 40 shots in a <laughs> game. He 63 took 63 shots, shots but, played the entire game, and he's still doing this against NBA players. But then again, I mean, but to, again, you know, he got at like almost every shot that game because his teammates were looking, were passing up. That's probably wide true. open shots. So that's like probably his true. teammates, if you probably look at the stat, I bet he probably got almost all the shots. That but game. that said, when you watch, look, and I again, I I know I agree, like. All these are the best ever yeah. in the game. So it's not to take anything away from anybody. But but I would say when you look at some of those games, like with Jordan and Kobe, there's a lot of times where it's just it it's just kind of a one-on-one show, right? It's just it's it's co- you know, they took a lot of shots too. Uh, you have and to as a you percentage have to, you of have the to. team shots. You yeah. have to. Yeah. So, but anyway. I mean, yeah, it's just it's an interesting story. I think people should know the story um, because not only is it interesting, it's just it's food for thought a little bit, it but it's also, I think, an impressive story. Because again, look, he had no—he was going on no sleep too. He just—he—he he, after the game, he slept for a very long time. That's what I read, is that he just like conked, totally conked out. Like after I would the game, it's all—that's all he wanted to do after the game is yeah. just go sleep. I would imagine. Um, so I mean, that's that's funny. Um, well, here's yeah, what's also interesting about it is his arch rival was Bill Russell. Oh, you know what? That's actually, and, I want to say that because you know that that season he averaged 50 points, like the only games he didn't score 50 were against Bill Russell. Yeah. Basically. The Celtics. He, Bill Russell was the only one that could hold him below well, the, 50. The Celtics basically had a dynasty you know? at that time. 
Wilt and Russell would square off, I think, eight times in the playoffs, and Wilt only beat Russell one time. And you know something interesting about those seasons is that they would play Boston 12 times in a season because the, the scheduling was a little bit different back yeah. then. So, you and know, you, if you, you know, within, and that's out of conference. Well, out thing, of conference, now you only play them, I think, twice. Yeah. They play them 12 times a season. The other thing that's interesting about Russell when you look at him is he was he only averaged like 15 to 20 points a game. He was not necessarily a super high scorer. He was a rebounder. But he was and obviously an really outstanding player. And then yeah. Boston had an outstanding team. Um, all right, so real quick, a couple of card items on Wilt. Because I've got a couple of his cards. He is, I think, one of those iconic players that if you have a personal collection, you've got to have a Wilt card in your collection or a couple. But So we talked his rookie card is actually in the 61-62 Fleer set. It's actually the number 8 card because he has two cards in that set, the number 47 card and the number 8. But the number 8 is considered kind of his true rookie. The 47 is kind of a subset within that. Um, but that number, his true rookie in low grade PSA three sells for about $3,500. And to give you an idea of a higher grade PSA nine of that card last sold for 348,000. And by the way, collectible, the fractional platform is offering a PSA nine of Wilt's rookie right now, probably in honor of this anniversary of his hundred point game. It's on their platform right now for an IPO value of 320,000. So not terrible relative to the last sale of 348,000. Um, the other ones that I like include there's a 6970 Tops card. It's the number one card in that set. Those were oversized cards. They refer to them as tall boys because they're about four and a half, a little over four and a half, four and 11 sixteenth inches tall to be exact, uh, versus three and a half inches for standard cards. They are the same width though at two and a half inches, but a PSA 5 in that one will run you about $500, while a PSA 9 recently sold for $276,000. A couple other cards of his I like. His final season, sometimes guys like to go after the final card or year of the that a, that a guy played. And, and for Wilt, that was 72-73 tops card. It's the number one card in that set. It's a more affordable card. A PSA 8 sells for around $400, while a 5 will run about $150 to $170. Two more that I like. I like his 71-72 tops card. Um, that one sells for around $1,000 in a PSA 8, and a PSA 5 sells around $180, give or take. So you can get that one in a mid-grade for a reasonable price, and it's a nice, it's kind of a cool retro 70s design to that card. And then even though he wasn't in the league, he does have a 73-74 tops set card. It's number 80 in that set. It's a nice one. It's a little more affordable. You can pick that up in a PSA 8 for about $400, and a PSA 6 sells for about 80 to a hundred dollars so that's a little rundown of his cards i want to say otto porter jr looks strikingly similar to will chamberlain if anybody wants to go look at them side by side like today really like otto porter today so what do you they saying? look very similar <laughs> nothing i'm just i just <laughs> wanted to say that that, yeah. that i was reminded of that yeah that those two guys look very very similar yeah interesting all right well there you go. That's our historic moment in sports. That's a good one. 100-point mm-hmm. game for Wilt. That was a, probably a record that will never be broken. Probably not. You should never say never. You'll see. Right? Tom Brady, never say I never. I mean, hey, with three-point line, you see these shooters nowadays. Yeah. Someone gets hot. I mean, could right. happen. You don't know. Never don't say know. never. Isn't that a Bieber song? I don't know. All right. Sorry. Let's move on. That's enough on that. We will move on to the halftime report. 
Alright, so we'll start off with some Fanatics news. The company completed another fundraiser, this time to the tune of $1.5 billion. This round reportedly valued the company at $27 billion. New investors included Fidelity, BlackRock, and Michael Dell. Yeah, and if you think about that, the company was valued at just six point, I say just, it's a big value, but $6.2 billion in August of 2020. So that $27 billion is basically more than a fourfold increase in just two years' time. The Charlie Sheen All-Star Cafe card, which has changed hands several times, is now up for bid at Mile High Card Company. It's rated a PSA 1, and the storied card is part of Mile High's March auction, which opens March 10th and closes on March 31st. Yeah, and a little background on that, because probably a lot of people are going, the what? The Charlie Sheen All-Star Cafe card, what is that? Uh, this this dates back a little bit, but it's kind of interesting because it relates to, remember, was it last show that we did the Honus Wagner uh, as the best moment or the historic moment in sports because his birthday? It like, might have been. might have been the last I show, so. I think, for his birthday. So this is the T206 Honus Wagner card that is being referred to as the Charlie Sheen All-Star Cafe card because Charlie Sheen owned the card, and he made headlines in 1998. He loaned it. Again, this is the T206 Honus Wagner card. It was graded a 1 by PSA, like you mentioned. He loaned it to the All-Star Cafe in New York City, and then that card is part of a infamous heist from that restaurant, and it's now back. that's the card that's now back on the auction block at Mile High. And so they say every Wagner card passed down through the years has a story, but none of those is really more controversial or fascinating than the one owned by Charlie Sheen that's up for auction now and and Sheen doesn't own it now someone else owns it but this is the card that he used to own but the the all-star cafe in New York City I think it was in Times Square and it was a sort of a hard rock cafe style restaurant had some big investors in it like Wayne Gretzky and Ken the kid Ken Griffey Jr. Joe Montana Shaq Tiger Woods um, Andre Agassi there was a, a bunch of folks including I think Charlie Sheen as well and so he he loaned it to them as well as I guess some other cards that he had in his collection because Sheen was a pretty avid sports card collector and had a pretty extensive collection and so he loaned that one and a few other cards to this cafe to put on display and then that card was stolen and subsequently some additional cards were stolen and anyway long story short there was an FBI investigation into the whole thing and ultimately it came out that um, they finally found the people that stole the card and Sheen was able to get it back and then he sold it in 2001 and and then it was it changed hands a few times but it was purchased later but from the current the current owner that has it now bought it many years ago for four hundred thousand dollars and now like you said it's going to be back on the auction block they're estimating it could fetch as much as three million or more based on recent sales which we've talked about here uh, of that Honus Wagner card so and by the way proceeds from the auction they say will be donated to the Boys and Girls Club of Oklahoma nice yeah that's kind of interesting yeah all right so the WNBA announced a deal to broadcast 25 games on ABC ESPN and ESPN2 Uh, This next season, it's going to be along with the entire postseason, which with the newly expanded playoff format could include as many as 27 games. Yeah, that was good to see. That partnership continues. Mm -hmm. And then in fractional ownership news, Collectible announced that Joe Orlando has joined the company as its new president. Yeah, remember, Joe was the CEO of Collectors Universe, which is the parent company of PSA. He spent 22 years with that company before stepping down last year. 
Um, as for buyout offers and results, Collectible received a buyout offer for a Tim Duncan card. It was the 9798 PMG card graded a 8 by VGS. The offer was $300,000. Yeah, and remember, PMG is Precious Metal Gems is what that stands for. Those are popular and valuable cards. That card came public on the platform at $219,500. But get this, it was trading at a value of $548,750 prior to the offer Remember, the offer was for 300000 so <laughs> almost half of what it was trading at. So no surprise here that that offer was rejected by shareholders. And remember, last time we talked about a buyout offer of $320,000 that shareholders on Collectible received for an Oscar Robertson autographed jersey. Uh, we didn't know the results of that offer at the time. We do now know those results, and that, buy offer, uh, excuse me, that buyout offer, I should say, was accepted by shareholders. And then last time we also talked about some of the items on the fractional platforms that were also up for auction. Now that those auctions have ended, we have some comparisons. Yeah, so let's just run through a couple because remember this is where we said you can kind of compare some of the results with some of the offerings on the platform to see where there might be some opportunities. So we'll just do a couple quick ones. So there was a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle in a PSA 8 that was being auctioned at Heritage. Remember this were the Heritage auctions that ended over this past weekend. That ended for a sales price of $1.56 million. That same exact card in PSA 8, the same exact grade, and the same exact grading company is selling at a value of $1.34 million on collectible. So it's $200,000 less right now on the collectible platform than what it just sold for in that heritage auction. So it could be an opportunity there. Um, and as a disclosure, I do believe that's one that I own on the collectible platform, I think. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's one I own. Um, I know I own a Mickey Man. I'm pretty sure that's one of it. So, uh, the Also, there was a 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie card. That's the, his popular card in PSA 10. That sold at Heritage for $288,000. And here's an example where it's selling a little more than that on the collectible platform right now it's got a value again same card same grade same grading company for three hundred fourteen thousand dollars and then two more i'll give you one is a 1980 tops ricky henderson rookie card that we've talked about in a psa 10 that sold for one hundred eleven thousand dollars in the in the heritage auction it's selling for just over one hundred fifteen thousand on the collectible platform and the last one is a 1954 hank aaron rookie card that's a nice one it's a the and there was an SGC graded one. I uh, got an eight and a half on the grade. That sold for ninety six thousand dollars at the on the Heritage auction. And there is a and so here's an example of difference in value because there is a PSA eight and a half on the collectible platform selling for one hundred and eighty six thousand dollars. So for what is that ninety thousand dollars more? SGC eight and a half versus a PSA eight and a half. So that's kind of interesting. I I honestly think whoever got that SGC eight and a half for ninety six thousand, that seems like that was a pretty good deal. To be yeah. quite honest, if you can say paying almost hundred thousand dollars for a card is a good deal, I, I think, think that one potentially is. A collectible has a soccer card drop coming. It's of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. It's two thousand two Panini football Portugal sticker number three oh six, graded a ten by PSA. Only 22 of these are in the pop count, and it's coming at a value of $109,500. Yeah, and haven't looked at the value of that yet to really see where that is relative to comps. There's obviously low pop counts. There's probably not a lot of comps out there. But that card is considered to be an important and valuable rookie card of his. In grading company news, Beckett announced that they are reopening their standard service level and expect their backlog to be caught up by the end of May. 
They also said that standard service quantities will be limited and will be on a first-come, first-served basis. Yeah, and they said turnaround times for that service are projected to be 30 to 45 days at a cost of $30 if you don't get subgrades. If you do want subgrades, then that cost becomes $50. Their economy service remains shut down. So let's talk also about some card releases. Last time we talked about that Top X, Tops X Aaron Judge set. And man, that one sold out fast, which was surprising. So maybe I'm thinking next time I should have bought some of that before I talked about it because I actually really did want to get several boxes <laughs> on that. And then over the weekend, we dropped our show on what Friday night. Over the weekend, I went into Top's website to see if I could buy some of those boxes, and it was already sold out. Kind of not surprising though, because like I talked last time, that just that was an interesting set with some chase cards. Uh, Tops gave a glimpse into their 2022 calendar during a presentation at their industry conference in Arizona, and while details for some card releases had previously been announced, there are some new ones that we have now. Yeah, they're going to be releasing a 2022 Tops Chrome Cosmic Baseball, or quote-unquote out of this world as they said. Hobby boxes of that are going to deliver three parallels with autographs being tougher to get at four per case versus per box. I'm not sure how many boxes there will be in a case. Uh, the 2022 Topps Chrome Cosmic Baseball product is expected to be released in November. They will also be releasing uh, 2022 Bowman Chrome Soccer, and this yep. marks the first time the Bowman brand will be used for a European soccer card set. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And then another one that's kind of similar, they're going to be uh, releasing a 2021 Topps Chrome Tennis set, which I think is interesting and cool. Uh, it's been a couple of years since Topps did a tennis release. There was a 2019 Topps International Tennis Hall of Fame box set. I think I've got a few of those myself. The following year, they did a luxury level 2020 Topps Transcendent Tennis. And now there's going to be kind of a middle ground with this set um, that combines their first chromium release for the sport. When we say chromium release, that's just the Topps chrome card versus the paper cards. Remember, we've talked about the differences there. And according to Topps, Coco Goff is going to be on the checklist, and and for those who don't know, Coco is a is a young rising female tennis star. So that that's going to be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that. Remember, we've talked about this is a I think a golden era for tennis right now. You got a lot of just outstanding tennis players all playing at the same time. So I think there's some opportunity in the tennis cards. All right, I think that about does it for the halftime report. So let's move on to film study. Okay, so we're going to cover baseball and basketball today. We can start with baseball because there's not much to cover, uh, but we can just give an update, I guess, on the negotiations, which is pretty much exactly as we've been calling it for quite some time. I think we've said, look, we don't have any optimism that anything's going to get done. We've been saying that, I feel like, for well over a month, if not longer. And both sides met for something like eight consecutive days in Florida, but they did fail to reach an agreement. Not surprising, to be honest. Now opening day is pushed back. The first two series of the regular season have been canceled. Again, no surprise here. I think, honestly, there will be more games canceled, if you ask me. The rumors are right now that we've heard is that owners don't want to actually play in April. Kind of tends to be a bad month. Ticket sales not as good, while opening day is always good. The rest of the month, not so much so. The weather's not great. And so there's thoughts, well, maybe an agreement will be reached that allow the season to start at the beginning May, or excuse me, to start at the beginning of May, I should say. Um, but we'll see. I, I, I've also heard others saying that they're thinking it might be more like the beginning of July before the, the deal's done and the regular season starts. So 
who knows what's going to happen here but to be honest i think baseball is really risking the alienation of fans and interestingly enough possibly in somewhat related news i don't know we don't we don't know everything that was happening behind the scenes here but it was also announced this past week that Derek jeter said he is stepping down as the ceo of the florida marlins which was a little bit of a surprising move and basically kind of gave some cryptic remarks that would lead you to believe that maybe he was at at odds with ownership of the team maybe think and maybe and i don't know if it's related to some of the you know stuff that's being worked out in the labor negotiations but he kind of got the impression that maybe he was wanting to spend more money the, the team owners were not in terms of getting talent to make them a winning you know team winning franchise but so anyway so he left and so we'll see where he ends up going but um yeah, not not much good news here for baseball. I think it might be that way for a little while. Yeah, which is really unfortunate. Uh, I really, I really wish they would, um, you know, come come to agreement and get the season started because this is not good for fans, and it certainly won't be good for card values. There'll be certain cards of certain players uh, that probably won't have too much of an impact, uh, but especially for guys that have already proven themselves, they're already proven vets with you know storied careers, you know think of someone like for example like a freddie freeman or um an albert pools or i don't even know did pools retire i didn't even i don't i shouldn't i don't know if he retired he played last year for the dodgers i'm not sure where he's at this year but anyway so for some of those guys i don't think obviously it's gonna if you've had a long storied career probably not much of an impact on your card value but for some of the younger players that they're now going to potentially miss who knows how long now when the if the season gets started back up then things can come back but in the interim and even for i know the prospect i've heard people talk about well prospects are going to be fine because minor leagues are still playing and everything else but i don't know i mean look anytime there's a postponement of the season like this i don't necessarily think that's good for anybody and and you're losing time i mean careers are not long in pro sports and yeah. so you never want to lose time and the more time you lose the less opportunity you've got so i don't see how it's a positive for anyone to be quite honest um but anyway that's it. That's all we got on baseball. Did you have anything more you wanted to touch on there? No. All right. <laughs> I mean, I think let's go I to think basketball. Let's speak volume. Yep, let's just, go to basketball know. then. What do you want to do? Basketball. Right. Saw a lot of stuff in basketball. I mean, well, you, you kind of did and you didn't. I mean, you know, what? There's a lot of stuff, but not necessarily, I guess, a ton to talk in depth about. Well, John Morant had an, is having an incredible little run oh here. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah. We can talk about that. I mean. If you guys, if anybody has not seen the dunk, and then the two minutes later, that like tip in, but it was like really a shot because he like caught it from like you know probably 15, 18 feet out, and shot it with like 0.4 seconds left to go in the first half and made it. Um, if anybody hasn't seen that, go look at it right now. It's crazy. It was unbelievable. I that was. I don't crazy. know which is better. I don't know if the dunk is better or if the tip in was better. They're both super. They were both super crazy. I mean. <laughs> And that's by, like an all-time dunk, like poster dunk right there. Yeah. He took off from like like the second or third tick on the in the lane and like yeah, I was just like well, even the Oh my gosh. Even like, that last second shot oh, like man. it gets thrown all the way across the entire court. He jumps up, catches it, yeah. and still has the strength the from about 15 feet away. Fastball from Steven Adams. Yeah. And still has the strength to catch it in the air about 15 feet away on the baseline and still launch it up to the basket and make the shot. That oh, was, and he got 52 that game. Yeah. <laughs> and don't forget, oh, yeah, he also got 52 that game. Yeah. And he had 46 the game before. 
Uh, he just had 38 at Boston. That was a losing effort, though. I don't. He honestly didn't play the best until about the fourth quarter, but Look, still we, 38 points. I mean, we said way back when, I think before the season started, or certainly at the beginning of the season, that we liked John Morant a lot. I think he is the real deal and a real. He just up like does he star. does he does something every night that's just like yeah. great. it's just like really cool. He is he definitely he's is the best. He's the best young player to watch. Right, he's most, probably the most exciting player in the he NBA. He is. He reminds me a lot of Kobe. He reminds me a lot of Jordan. I mean, he's got that kind of athleticism and airtime and everything else. And you look at his cards. I mean, it's 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 been you know it's not a secret. His I'm looking on card ladder, which also hey the dude's six three by the way. He's six three and he's getting he's getting That's, up. That is the one the difference ten foot, between the him ten foot and, rim is is like too too yeah. low for him. Yeah. That's the difference <laughs> between him and Jordan and Kobe. Smaller. Jordan and Kobe were much taller than him. He still has would, that so. bounce. That just no, I don't know if I I don't know if in terms of athleticism I would say Kobe's in that same conversation. I don't really think like Kobe was very athletic, but he wasn't like the most athletic, you know. A lot of his yeah. a lot of his greatness came from like he was really good at the fundamentals and he was yeah his footwork was incredible and he just like worked really hard yeah um i would say jordan and lebron those guys had just like crazy athleticism to be able well, to jump LeBron super is high just and, a physical specimen yeah i mean jordan i think to me and i'm biased because that was my era but i think jordan is to me the, the epitome of the athleticism he just yeah. did some unbelievable yeah. things but I mean, yes. jaws right there and jaws smaller but it's not going to notice i'm looking at card ladder card ladder has which this is a a, uh, a little foreshadow of our interview we're going to do with Chris from Card Ladder. They've got some indices they put out on players. They've got a John Moran indice that includes a variety of his different cards. And over the last... Is that jump from the game that I'm looking at? Well, that no. That vertical no, line right there? No, because this was back in... Um, this was early February when that jump occurred. Um, oh, okay. So maybe that was from... Would that been the All-Star? Maybe game but yeah well what depends on what day it was but yeah but his yeah his over the last three months his cards are up about 68 percent i think if i'm reading this right and uh they had yeah they had a big spike in february and then they've continued to to move higher um since so certainly everyone's taken notice of of jaw cards it's probably not the best time to run out and buy his stuff although i don't know i mean maybe they'll maybe they'll keep going up yeah i mean he's already an mvp candidate he's gonna get one probably within the next two or three years yeah and there there are some of his cards you can find i'm not gonna say because there's a couple i'm trying to get and i don't want to have happen what's happened to some of these other cards we've talked about and have them go spike higher on me but there are a couple of his cards that are nice that i personally like um that are not too terribly expensive that i think are interesting so do your homework and you can probably find some jaw cards that that aren't bad but yeah a lot of his stuff's going to be pretty expensive now but he yeah he's fun to watch for sure and honestly like it's kind of surprising because memphis is i think here a little bit sooner than they were really expected to be because we knew they were coming but like they're here yeah they're here and they they honestly could end second in the west but in terms of like a deep playoff run i mean like I said, they're kind of young. They haven't really been there before, so that's still kind of a question mark, especially this season. Um, but definitely in the next, I mean, year, two, three years. I mean, they're here. Yeah, that's a good team that's here to stay. Um, I think they're, I dis- they're like they're they they are the next team. They are they're. they're I think they're I here. distinctly remember you saying in many many shows ago that Memphis, they're coming, man. Yeah, they are. Then they're, they're, they're here, they are, and yeah. they're here, and they already are here. Like it's nuts. So, 
Some other things that are interesting I think we should talk about. I know you want to talk about Harden because he's been coming back playing with Embiid for the 76ers. They're looking good. But I also want to talk about Simmons. So it sounds like he's out for a little while longer with potentially a back injury is what I've heard. And But there's kind of speculation around the, the Nets are supposed to play the 76ers here coming up. What is it? When is that? Is that next week? Yeah, I don't remember what it is. But, soon. but supposedly soon. he doesn't want to play in that game, go back and play against his old team. And so there's some, you know, rumor scuttlebutt. There's that word we like to use out there about whether still, he's trying to just uh, get out of that game. He'll still be there on the bench, though. So, like, I don't really see why he would be – why it would be a big deal if he's not – I mean, I guess it's different than, like, playing against your teammates. But, like, in terms of the fans, like, he's still going to be in the arena. I, I'll tell you this like, much. I, I hope that's – I hope it's a legitimate in, injury and that's not the reason yeah. he's sitting out. Because here's the thing. Here's the way I view that. I'm not even sure if the Nets would let him do that. But hear me out on this. Here's the way I view that. Think about it from a player mentality standpoint, right? Oh, it's a bad mentality. If exactly, if I'm, if you're, you know, here's the way I would look at that. I want a player who's going to say, no, I want to be on the court for that game, mm-hmm. right? I I want to go show my old team what they gave up, and I want to be on the court and I want to play that game. So if you've got, so if it's true that he doesn't want to be on the court for that game, I don't think that's a good sign I doubt for the that's, Nets. I just really doubt that's true. I mean, yeah. I, of course the of course people are going to try and spin that narrative. I really doubt that's actually what's happening here. Well, I hope not. I, I really doubt it, to be honest. I hope not. Um, but, but so when do you know when is he going to be coming back now? I haven't heard anything. Uh, I do know that Joe Harris, um, he underwent season-ending ankle surgery, so they're not getting Joe Harris back this season. Which is, but I mean, they're they, getting Durant back. Well, they already got Durant back. Yeah, um, which was actually ugh, pretty pretty yikes performance by Brooklyn in his debut. I'm going to be honest. Um, but yeah, Joe Harris is out for the rest of the season. I honestly see Brooklyn always has a chance with Kevin Durant in the lineup. But if Ben Simmons does have, if his injury is like totally legitimate and it's going to keep him sidelined for a little bit. I mean, the Nets are really, I feel like the Nets are really more gearing up for next season, to be honest. I mean, they're sitting eighth in the East right now. Of course, they've got a shot. They've always got a shot with Kevin Durant and Kyrie playing, I mean, Kyrie playing, you know, in and out. Although it's looking like they may lift the restriction in New York um, in yeah. the coming weeks. So he might be able to play home games. But honestly, they're more, they're way more scary next season when they've got all their guys back. But yeah. this season, I'm not really sure. And I'm not really sure what their goal is right now and you know what it's looking like with getting guys back but i will say i i just said this that kevin durant's uh i guess re-debut was really kind of not very good for brooklyn and it kind of highlights that they better hope that new york lifts that restriction real soon because it <laughs> brooklyn needs help man they really or kevin durant i should say needs help man they played miami I but mean. miami didn't have butler they didn't have P.J. Tucker, and they didn't have Kyle Lowry. <laughs> I mean, that should have been that should have been a win for Brooklyn. It really should have. And I know, like, Miami's got very, very good depth, and they've got culture, and, like, they won and they beat a fully healthy Suns team by, like, 20 with just their bench players, like, a couple months ago. So, like, they're fully capable, but still, I just, that's not very 
Well, for a Kevin Durant team, that just really kind of shows the issues with the Nets right now. That they and they they blew a lead in that game. They were winning most of the game until the fourth quarter. Well, and Durant did well at least. Oh yeah, return, exactly. So. I'm saying Durant needs help though. Like the second leading scorer was Bruce Brown, who like hasn't really played like at all this season. What about Seth Curry? I didn't see the game. How did Seth perform? Mm, How's he doing? I don't know if he played. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. Um, he might have played, but he didn't. If he did, he didn't score more than like 15 points. Yeah. So the leading scorers was KD, Bruce Brown with 20, and then it was lower than that. And I don't know. We'll see as the season goes on. Like I said, I feel like they're really more of a next season team at this point. The this season team that came out of that trade is the 76ers. I mean, so yeah. we can talk about that next. Yeah. Um, Embiid and Harden because Harden, it's actually, it's just really kind of fun to watch Harden and Embiid look like they've been playing with each other for like years. <laughs> like he has fit in seamlessly and Embiid loves it. He said in the first game he has he's this is the most space he's had ever in his entire career with James Harden on the floor because that just commands so much attention. James Harden is having some great performances and it just those two just look really good together. <laughs> they run that pick and roll together. They look like they've been playing together for like forever. And they've played like three games. Yeah. So Philadelphia's I like Philadelphia now. They're they're looking good for going into playoffs, so we'll see. But by the way, I think Embiid I mean do you think is Embiid in the uh, he's MVP the, conversation? He, oh, he is the MVP. You think so? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's been the MVP for like the past probably two months of the season. He's the MVP right now. I don't really think there's much debate besides maybe Jokic, but I really think right now it's Embiid, and it's been Embiid, and it probably will be Embiid. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to look up to see if... Because some of his stuff, I mean, some there's some stuff that's not... Uh, cheap per se but but some of his stuff is actually probably pretty decent value given his performance so and you can go back to uh like it's 2014 i think 2014 was his rookie year i believe right the uh prism base psa 10 which i know some people you know we've talked about the kind of the concern with base but not a huge concern in 2014 your pop counts are not as high so that card as an example has less than 1300 compared to the what 20,000 plus of you know today's base prism psa 10 pop counts so pop counts not terribly high and that card is now it's gone up it's it's recently selling for around 450 dollars and that's up quite a bit it's up from about 200 to 250 dollars just within the last what maybe three four months so that's a pretty nice increase obviously justified based on his play but yes he could be an interesting one to go after if um if they uh if he gets the mvp and if the 76ers make a deep run in the playoffs i think they will it's interesting in the east now because for like the longest time i think really the only three teams in the east that were like actual contenders were brooklyn milwaukee and miami and i'm not really sure anymore like i don't really know where brooklyn's looking like obviously still milwaukee and miami but philadelphia might be in that mix now to be honest and then you also have to talk about Boston, who's been playing fantastic basketball the past month Boston's or so. Boston's making a move. They totally, sure. they totally made a turnaround their season. They're playing way better basketball. There's so much less ISO. Like the, you watch them play, it's very good basketball. I think they have the best defense in the NBA too. They've held a lot of good teams to pretty, really, really low scoring. In fact, they've basically had Miami's number this season. Like I don't think Miami's beat them once. 
and in every game they've held them very very low scoring like the first game it was like 70 points or something ridiculous yeah like, they've they've got the lowest um scoring against as mm-hmm. far as their defense is concerned only only allowing i think 103 just shy of 104 points yeah. a game which is the low no maybe cleveland is cleveland i think is at 103 so maybe yeah. they're second now yeah. i wouldn't call them contenders but they're definitely a a team to watch their scare i'm not really sure they have a couple of questions going to playoffs i'm not sure if they have enough shooting um i'm not sure if it's like i really just don't know if their offense is going to hold up in a deep playoff run we'll see what about chicago chicago i wouldn't say are i mean chicago's a big question mark because like we just have yet to see them in the playoffs now they have some players that i think are built for the playoffs but i'm not really sure that i would call them a contender because they would have to beat a Milwaukee they would have to beat a Miami who's beaten them like they're they're 0 and 8 against like the top four teams in the NBA this season like Miami's beaten them 3-0 3-0 Golden State Warriors have beaten them every time the Suns have beaten them every time um, Memphis I think has beaten them every time a lot of which have been close games a lot of them weren't so close but it's just it's a big question mark I'm not really sure how they're gonna really do against the better teams especially come playoff time so that's I wouldn't really put them there yet but I mean, they definitely could. I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, came out of the East. Yeah. But I wouldn't really say that they're necessarily a favorite by any means. Well, and I'm looking at DeMar DeRozan's rookie cards. Remember, we talked about him a few shows ago and thought he was represent a pretty decent value. Well, that cat's out of the bag. His stuff has gone up significantly over the last few months, couple of months. He, um, I'm looking at, for example, his 2009 Topps Chrome rookie in a PSA 10 that has gone from a thousand dollars a couple of months ago to now selling for over twenty two hundred dollars so more than double geez in just a few months time and it's not even like he's doing anything new like he's been doing this his whole career like yeah he's had like a pretty monster run the past few probably past like 10 games really I mean this is just DeMar DeRozan like this is he's been playing this way his whole career he's been a scorer his whole career I mean he's the franchise leading scorer in Toronto he didn't play there that long yeah he yeah. didn't even play there that long. I mean, I think people pr- probably thought when he went to the Spurs, he was kind of like in a weird zone where he was at the end of his career. But he was still probably should have been an all-star when he was with the Spurs. Yeah. He just didn't quite, I guess, cross that line of in competition with the other players. But like now, in, I guess with Chicago, he's been able to shine a little more. But like I said, he's been doing this like his whole career. I'm yeah. kind of surprised that like he's just starting to take off now. Well, and for um, reference for folks, that's a that card is serial numbered to 999. So there's only 999 of them, and in right now anyway, in PSA 10, the pop count's only 14. So very difficult card to get. That's part of the reason it's so expensive. But if I'm and I'm on card ladder right now, but if I look at the PSA 9, now the PSA 9 hasn't gone up as much in value, but there haven't been really any recent sales. Also, low pop count on the PSA 9. So I guess I'd need to maybe look at a different card that has a little higher pop count to look for more sales volume, but. Um, certainly his stuff remember it was when was it it was maybe a month ago that he was break that he broke that wilt chamberlain record yeah i right? think you went up to eight games with that 35 and 50 percent shooting yeah 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 something like that i mean he was the i think he was the player of the month for now you got you, you got to be happy though with your miami heat at the top of the standings here yeah i mean You're feeling hey pretty man confident. there's like there's finally some separation i don't know if they're going to finish first or not but I will say, I mean, for the longest time, the top six in the East has been separated by, like, a game. I think now Miami's in front by, like, three, which is probably the most separation there's ever been this whole season, which is nice to see it's evening out a little bit just in terms of 
people being solidified in certain spots. Now, obviously, that's still fluid. I mean, they're all still separated by only a few games, but... I mean, for the longest time, it was like six were separate. Like number six could move to number one in like two days. Yeah. Um, now it's a little bit different, which I think is better, <laughs> um, honestly. So who would you say are the top players on the Heat? I know obviously they got Tyler well, they have, Hero. But I think Tyler might he's be. He's probably sixth, right? He doesn't even start, but he's kind of their sixth man. He's their, um, okay, he's a, he's a starter. He, do, he doesn't start, but he's a starter. Right. I think I Tyler's probably, probably, I is mean. Butler? Through certain stretches, he's been our best player. Obviously, Butler is the star. Butler is the best player on the team. I would say Bam Adebayo is in that second spot. I mean, that's your those are your those are your two main guys. Yeah, I think honestly, Tyler might really be in that second spot. And then of course you have Lowry, who's not a big score, but he. I mean, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the season. He's doing a lot for the Heat in terms of taking the ball out of Jimmy and Bam's hands, facilitating. He's very very vital if the Heat are going to make a deep run. Yeah. But I think the thing about the Heat is they don't really wow you with stars, but they they just they're a very deep team. They all play the right way. They're not going to beat themselves. They're going to play great defense every night. They're very physical, and now they have the scoring to go win, to go and win games. Which well, and here's something I'll say about the Heat. So I'm looking at card values and Tyler Hero. Now he's that 2019 class, so that's where you got to start worrying about pop counts, and mm-hmm. his pop counts are sky high. So I wouldn't necessarily go after one of his. But the interesting play to me is I'm looking up, and I'm actually surprised as I'm looking at this because I feel like this is somewhat inexpensive. I mean, I don't want to say cheap, but because it's almost a couple hundred dollars. But the Jimmy Butler he, rookie season, I think rookie card was 2012. Am I mistaken on I that? I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's 2012. And so I'm looking at his Panini Prism, which, by the way, I believe 2012 was the first year that Panini Prism, uh, the first Panini Prism basketball release as well. So you kind of have that going too. It's kind of an interesting because it's Butler's rookie, but it's also the first Panini Prism for basketball. And in a PSA 10, this is the base card. But the pop count's only 744. And again, you don't have to worry. You're not going to have 10 or 20,000 of these things like you have in the modern, ultra modern players like a Tyler Hero from the 19 class. But 744 pop count, last sale on this card, which was just from maybe a week ago, was $173.50. And it's been basically flat, kind of around. In fact, this is maybe a little on the lower end. It's been upwards of 200 to maybe as high as 250. And down to maybe as low as 150. So the range over the last several months has been 150 to 250, and this is at 173, which is the lower end of the range for a PSA 10 of a star player on a team that's in first place in the NBA in the East. To me, that represents some value. And now I'm sitting here saying it out loud, and I'm thinking I should have ran out and bought one of his cards before I said that, because maybe they're going <laughs> to jump in value here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I mean, it'd, um, it'd be interesting to see. I feel like Jimmy Butler is kind of always. Like I said, like the Heat don't wow you with stars. Like Jimmy Butler, he's our only like quote unquote superstar. And to be honest, I mean, he's kind of a quiet superstar most of the time. Yeah. If you're really, you know, he's a fantastic player. I would argue probably top 15 player in the NBA. But like he's not up there in terms of like you know everybody knows him and everybody's yeah. like oh like Jimmy Butler he's crazy like no. But like, if they make he it, is if they he make is it. but like nobody like says that I think he's yeah. got. A, they make a deep run in the playoffs though you're gonna see his card start and here's what i'll say about jimmy here's what i'll say about jimmy like he's like i said he's a quiet superstar but he had in 2020 finals one of the best performances in the finals ever like really like he had two 40 point triple doubles against lebron james and anthony davis with their number two and number three option out um they took the lakers to six games basically I, i don't know if you've seen that picture from it's a pretty 
um, famous, well, famous, but like it's a pretty popular, well-known picture now um, around the NBA of like Jimmy, like he's like leaning over like on the side of the court, like with his head down or whatever after like yeah. like at the end of a game from those finals, and like I think that was like one of his forty-point nice. games yeah. of like that's like a photo of like a champion right there. Yeah, I don't know. So like yeah, like you don't you're not really wowed by it, but he's a great player. Yeah, fantastic player. Yeah. I mean. He absolutely could represent the value, but well, that's the thing. I mean, who knows? He's just not super flashy. I well, mean, that's the thing. So who you know? knows here? But I would say just just looking at it again, looking to lope less than a thousand in the pop count, seven hundred forty four for PSA ten, twenty twelve. It's a start. Miami's in first place. I'm. I just and believe, again, I personally believe if they make a deep run in the playoffs, you're going to see this. Could this card? If you could pick this card up, one hundred seventy dollars. Could this be two hundred fifty, three hundred, maybe five hundred dollars? Possibly. And hold on, could well, be. hold on here because the thing about Jimmy is, I think he's going to have some great playoff performances. I think you'll see Tyler have some great playoff performances. But the thing about Jimmy is he's not a very flashy player, and like you said, you normally have flashy players having higher card True. values. And yeah. so Jimmy, those forty point triple doubles, one of them, he did it without scoring a three. He don't shoot the three ball. Hmm. He gets to the rack. He gets fouled. He's like probably he's like one of the leading, if not the leading, free throw, like in terms of free throw attempts per game in the yeah. league. Um, that's like where he gets most of his points is by driving a few middies and getting at the free throw line. He's also a good like facilitator. He gets a lot of triple doubles every now and then, but like he's not a very like flashy like oh he's gonna wow you kind of player. But he's very he's just very solid, very yeah. good. Like he's just he's. He's, he's a superstar, but yeah. he doesn't, he's not like a flashy superstar, yeah. you know? All right. Well, what about, I know you want to talk, I think anyway, a little bit about the Lakers. You know, I gears. did. I did. Um, I'll just, more. I'll mention it. Because <laughs> um, I'm going to be honest, last night I was watching inside the NBA and Charles Barkley, he, <laughs> he said some stuff I kind of agreed with and I'm just, he was just kind of sick and tired of everybody talking about the Lakers and the Lakers constantly being on television. He's not calling them the Lakers anymore. He refuses to say their name. He's calling them that team from Southern California. Because um, <laughs> it's just Classic like... Classic Charles Barkley. Because he's just like, no one wants to see these fools on TV anymore. They've had four nationally televised games this week, and all of them have been terrible. Like, the most boring blowout games. Like, you just don't... You just don't even want to watch it. It's so bad. And so, like, at this point, like, I'm not even sure, like, I want to even talk about them. Yeah. I don't know if there's even much for me to say at this point. They're just, it's it's just bad. Like, they have a few silver linings coming out of it. Um, you see Austin Reeves. He's a rookie. He's a great little player that's seeing some good minutes. He's moved into a starting role. One of their only little, like, one of their only sources of energy on that entire team. Um absolutely like a great great defender smart player he can shoot the three ball um i really like him he's one of my favorite rookies actually he's kind of underrated i think a little bit um he's just one of those guys who's like one of those total hustle players for sure yeah. um, i really like him but that's kind of it <laughs> i mean it's just i mean their own crowd booed them a couple 30 point losses to bad teams clippers last night it was just it's just bad and i'm not even sure i even want to address it anymore i just they got a bunch of geezers. They're well. It's and just bad, man. It's yeah. just bad. I mean, yeah. and and I don't even want to even. I just don't even want to talk about it anymore. And, and honestly, unless unless you're collecting for your personal collection, you know, for me, probably the only Laker right now that I would have interest in collecting from a value standpoint would be LeBron. Now his stuff isn't cheap, but I think you know his legacy is cemented, and I think some of his 
rookie cards uh, are, like I said, they're not cheap, but they're also not necessarily as expensive as, um, I, well, I guess I'd have to do the comparison. I don't believe they're as expensive as some of the, say, Kobe's and Jordan's and, and some of those other top players. But um, so you can pick up like his tops. Uh, let me see if I can find it on Card Ladder. I'm looking for his, t- uh, he's got an 03. You can t- pick up paper um, for less than you can the Chrome. But it's like, okay, here's the, no, that's an 04. Where is that? Well, here's the Chrome. No, that's a refractor. So I don't want to use that one because that's not, anyway. I'll have to, let me see what I can find um, on his stuff. But I do think LeBron is, you know, for longer term, I think that's an interesting one to hold. But other than that, like Westbrook and Anthony Davis and those guys, I personally wouldn't really have much interest. Again, unless you're just collecting for your personal collection. Like here's LeBron. Okay, so his base, his ba- he's in the 2003 tops. This is the Chrome base, PSA 10 sells for about 95 well the last sales price which was just a couple days ago was $9,500 so it's expensive but that's come down that was $12,000 a few months ago Um, and I think it was potentially even higher than that maybe you know a year ago Um, the nine sells for $2,500 and the last sale again was just and that's down from you know almost $3,500 just a few months ago so LeBron stuff is down um, it's expensive, but I think he'd be the only one out of that on that team that I would have interest in. Collecting I would be interested in, in looking at a player like Austin Reeves or maybe Malik Monk, just because Malik Monk has been having a pretty good year since he's been pushed into more of a role or like more of a important role, I should say, on that team um, as one of their only like of three young guys on that entire team well so here's an interesting one so his stuff's gone way up now there's not a lot of sales because the pop counts low on malik monk he's in the 2017 class i believe if that's his yeah it looks like that's his rookie card 2017 prism i'm looking at the silver which is the lower pop count ones compared to the base it's 155 pop count of psa 10s last sale was about a month ago for about 200 dollars but that yeah. card again not a lot of sales but back in December of last year there was a sale for $36 and I don't know if that's a, a legitimate very sale or not large spike. but yeah but he's been pretty consistent kind of between well, 180 just, and 200 dollars over the last uh three months or I so I mean I would say the end of December thing doesn't surprise me because AD I think went out around that time and Malik kind of got more of a scoring role and I mean, he can, he, he's kind of streaky. I mean, he gets hot and he can give you like 30 on a night if he gets hot and he's a bench player. So, I mean, yeah. he's kind of one of those other silver linings that came out of us. I'm not sure. I mean, on a different team, he's probably not going to be having these kind of same performances as consistently because he's not going to have that kind of a role. But I think it's good for him to be able to be in that role and get that confidence for sure. Yeah. And get better. Yeah. But, okay. yeah, you know. It's, well, it's We've kinda, covered a lot of ground. What do you, you want to? You get anything more you want to do, or should we wrap up? I, I, that's all I had, really. That's, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap up. I guess that will be the show for today. Hope everybody enjoyed it. We covered a lot of ground today. A lot of card stuff. A lot of other stuff as well. Hope you enjoyed it. We do have, like I said before, we've got a guest interview next week. It's Chris McGill from Card Ladder. He's the co-founder of Card Ladder. We're excited to have him on the show. So please tune in 
and listen to that. We've got, as I mentioned before, some other stuff planned coming with additional interviews and things in future shows. Oh, and by the way, this next week's show, as we mentioned, we're going to drop that on Thursday instead of Friday. So follow us on our social media channels. We'll post there uh, additional details of, of future guests as we get those confirmed. So Brandon, I think that's it. Go ahead and take us out. All right, yeah. We hope you guys enjoy today's show. As always, we're open to suggestions, and we do incorporate listener suggestions, so please feel free to let us know what you'd like, don't like, things you'd like to hear more about. Uh, also, let us know if you have any specific guests you'd like us to interview. This is your show. We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback so that we can make the show better and more enjoyable for you. And remember to check us out on social media. Like and follow our pages and channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Check out our website, www.the615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list. All right, another show number 19 this time in the books. Thanks again to all of our listeners. Appreciate your support, and we'll see you all not next Friday, but next Thursday, same time, same place, here on the 615 Collector.